Hello and welcome to Behind the Frontline podcast. The podcast that asks the very simple question, how can we change the world? I'm your host, Dr. Adil Khan. In this season, I will be chatting with expert guests to try and understand how COVID-19 impacts society in different ways. I hope to share the insights of these great minds with you and hope to inspire you to change the world. Technology has revolutionized healthcare. The technology we have today allows us to understand much more about our health and our health system than ever before. But yet, millions of people still suffer from completely preventable diseases worldwide each year. And many health systems are on the brink of collapse. Clearly, technology is not the only answer in addressing all the problems in healthcare. So what role then does digital health play in improving healthcare access and delivery? What exactly is digital health in any case? How do we use digital health in a way that doesn't leave anyone behind, especially the poor or technologically illiterate? And how has COVID-19 and the pandemic impacted all of this? In this episode of Behind the Frontline podcast, I chat with Dr. Benji Ozinski. Together, we try to make sense of digital health solutions during COVID and beyond. Benji is a medical doctor and the director of business development of the WITS Healthcare Innovation. He's also the co-founder of MarketMX. Benji discovered his passion for entrepreneurship after starting his first business during his medical school training and is working to build a career integrating business, health and technology. The WITS Healthcare Innovation was established to catalyze the implementation and creation of scalable, patient-centered and technology-driven solutions within the healthcare ecosystem of South Africa and beyond. The WHI is a division of the WITS Health Consortium and consists of a diverse, multi-talented team working to further the digital transformation of healthcare in South Africa, change the culture of healthcare and make a positive social impact. Benji, Thanks for the time and welcome to Behind the Frontline podcast. Could you tell listeners a little bit more about yourself? My name is Benji. Um, I'm a medical doctor. I graduated from WITS at the end of 2019. I, uh, I realized uh, in medical school when I started my first business that uh, clinical medicine, you know, wasn't really for me. Uh, I started a small business to make extra cash and it grew quite substantially um, in my later years of medical school. And it really like ignited a passion uh, in me that I just wasn't gaining from, from clinical medicine. So I started uh, uh, my junior doctor years um, at the beginning of last year. But, uh, you know, after, after discovering uh, a passion, it's very difficult to, to ignore it. Um, and I looked at various ways um, of how one could integrate business and, and, uh, and healthcare. And I came across health tech and, and digital health. And this was largely before the COVID boom and, and the digital health health boom. Um, I was quite lucky in, in coming into contact with uh, Dr. Max Rath, who's a medical reg, and he had founded an organization called Vits Healthcare Innovation uh, in 2019. And he, he founded it based off of UCT's innovation hub. Um, really, uh, now where WHI stands um, is really three pillars. The first is to is to catalyze the implementation of uh, innovative and technology-driven solutions within public health, and now also moving into private health. Um, the second one is to fundamentally change the healthcare uh, culture of South Africa, and, and that's got various aspects which we can speak about. And finally, the third pillar of WHI is social impact. 
And that's really to make a difference in, in the lives of, of the South African population and hopefully um, the global population and especially to those um, who really need it. Um, I'm also a co-founder of a startup, a health tech startup called MarketMX, um, which focuses on online patient acquisition for private practices, um, but also patient retention, um, automated retention of patients um, based off of the latest clinical guidelines. So that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I've, uh, uh, through my journey thus far, I've been exposed to, to really cool things. Um, and yeah, just grateful to be here. What is your role at the WHO? So my role uh, currently is Director of Business Development. So what, what that looks like is, um, you know, in, in, our, in our year journey or the just over a year journey that I've been involved, we've identified uh, a few niche areas where while we, are, we, are, we do operate as an MPO, we also have some um, uh, uh, full profit uh, uh, departments or sections, shall I say, which I oversee. Um, so really, that's in healthcare consulting. So we, we consult to, um, to health tech companies and, and, and technology companies. And uh, a need that kind of came from the market, which we're now uh, developing, is conducting research on behalf of health tech companies. Um, and that's really, really important and, and a big passion of mine. Um, and, and that's also for a few reasons. Uh, you know, if you think about a doctor, how, how healthcare is, is structured is healthcare is structured based off of information, right? What is the latest research say? You know, what does the latest trial come out with? And um, as doctors and healthcare practitioners, that's the way we are, we are taught um, uh, to look at things. And it's correct, evidence-based medicine. And so what we're really doing in WHI is integrating kind of well, how I say it, information and innovation. Um, and, and that's kind of my role in WHI. Although as um, the founders, uh, Max and Sam, uh, are, are becoming a bit more uh, busy with their own things, I'm taking more of, of a management and, and leadership role. It sounds like a fantastic initiative. And uh, we can unpack some of the successes in a moment. But before we go any further, I think it's important to uh, talk about some basics. Uh, not everybody is familiar with the space, the health tech scene, the digital health space. Could you provide us with an overview of what we mean when we talk about digital health? What does, what does that actually mean? Digital healthcare is really technology within healthcare, but it's also a new era of how we view and uh, work with health data in the context of this conversation and, and where we are in the world, um, I think what, what I'll speak to is really, and I hate buzzwords, but I'll, but I'll use the buzzword, disruptive digital health, if I can say that. And what I mean by that is really technology within healthcare that's fundamentally changing both the way healthcare is accessed and the way healthcare is delivered. And I think there's an important distinction there. If we look at the way healthcare is accessed, that's, that's kind of speaking directly to how human beings uh, interact uh, with healthcare. And uh, the way healthcare is delivered, really, that is how doctors can provide the best possible uh, uh, quality of care to patients. Now, I've made the distinction between people and patients because I think it's an important distinction to make and I think it lends itself to where healthcare is going. And healthcare really, in terms of digital healthcare, is moving more towards preventative rather than reactive. Um, I'm 
paraphrasing uh, the words of Dr. Daniel Kraft, who the, is the medical chair of Singularity University. And he says that, you know, if we look at healthcare, it shouldn't actually be called healthcare, it should be called sick care, because it's very much a reactive uh, process. So I, I digress, but effectively, uh, you know, the way healthcare is accessed and delivered um, through the use of technology, that's done via hardware and software. By hardware, you know, I'm wearing an Apple Watch right now. You know, they, they've developed uh, uh, the hardware, it can read my heart rate. When we look at software, for example, electronic health records, you know, software uh, that, that one can capture uh, medical information on. So that's one side of digital healthcare. Um, the other side of it really is data and information. Um, and the, 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 the best example I can, I can give, uh, you know, to the layperson, the non-medical person and the non-technical person, you know, everybody uses social media. Um, and if you look at the way Facebook uses data um, and you investigate a little bit, and I'm sure most people have watched the documentary, um, The Social Dilemma, the way in which data is processed and the way in which Facebook or a third party you know, they say is able to know you as a person much better than a work colleague, and in some cases, a spouse. Um, that's coming to healthcare, and that's really, really exciting, you know, because if you look at big data, big data effectively handles large data sets in a way that traditional statistics never could, you know. And if you, if you think about the extrapolation upon data, so say, for example, you're using Facebook and... Um, <laughs> it was a crazy example in a study that was done. They could tell so much about you based off of whether you liked Hello Kitty videos or not. And it wasn't just, um, you, you're probably a 12-year-old girl. Um, it got really, really deep. So I, I would encourage people to go and investigate that a little bit. Now, if you look into healthcare, imagine what you could extrapolate upon with big data and with health informatics. Yeah, a lot of children. Uh, let, let me start... <laughs> Let me start off by saying that it's new, and as as you said, the buzzword is it's disruptive, and low and middle income countries uh, have also been affected by it. Sometimes the revolutions in healthcare seem to bypass us and bypass other low and middle income countries, but that hasn't been the case. Um, and it's been incredible to see the boom, as you call it, with COVID um, of late, and the boom not only sort of in the Western world and in Europe and in, in and in, in North America, it's it's happening inside Africa, inside South Africa as well. But let's let's maybe speak about COVID. Uh, you mentioned that there was this big boom. Um, we know from this podcast that COVID has essentially touched every aspect of of clinical medicine, of uh, every aspect of 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 public health, and healthcare access and healthcare delivery is a key component of that. How then has COVID affected digital health? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to add on your point, I think not only COVID, it's not only that COVID has touched every aspect of clinical medicine and public health, it's touched every aspect of everybody's lives in general, you know. For sure, um, for sure. So, yeah. So, you know, I've been asked that question before, you know, how has, how has COVID catalyzed uh, um, digital healthcare? And, and I think, you know, the way I view it, or, or, or another question I get asked is, what opportunities has COVID exposed or, or, or presented? I think the opportunities for uh, digital healthcare 
were largely the same before COVID. The difference was that when COVID hit, um, there was a worldwide focus on healthcare. And amidst the digital transformation of all aspects of life, when COVID hit, it was only natural. And what came thereafter was an international consensus that healthcare was going to be the next industry to be disrupted by technology. And so I think uh, it's, it's fast-tracked that digital transformation uh, exponentially. But I think the opportunities are largely the same. And I think almost what's happening now, you know, we're over a year into the pandemic, is that initially um, all efforts, including digital healthcare, were kind of focused towards um, COVID. You know, and examples like that, uh, for example, is telemedicine. Um, and telemedicine, uh, for those who don't know, it, it, it encompasses a few things, but effectively what telemedicine does is it allows somebody to access healthcare uh, while not necessarily being in front of a doctor or being at a healthcare facility. And that can range anywhere from uh, a Zoom call uh, with a doctor all the way to remote monitoring where somebody is wearing a device and over uh, Wi-Fi, uh, a clinician is able to, to monitor them from a distance, you know? And, and <laughs> I almost judge trends through a few ways. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm very involved in it, but I also judge trends through uh, who uh, slides into my LinkedIn DMs. And uh, at the beginning of, you just have to have a doctor <laughs> and I've got organization on LinkedIn. Um, and, and I find that quite a good, a good um, indicator of what's going out there. And initially it was just telemedicine. Um, that's mm. all I was seeing. Now what we're seeing, while the dust has almost settled and, and the world is coming to grips with how to, how to manage COVID, um, non-COVID health issues uh, have kind of started to surface, you know, and, and um, another thing that we're seeing, um, which is also fascinating, and it just kind of um, emphasizes this, world, this worldwide consensus that now we're going to digitally transform healthcare is a lot of... Uh, technology companies that have nothing to do with the healthcare industry are, are trying to get into healthcare and almost yeah. uh, trying to fit a, a solution into a problem that doesn't really exist. So that, I hope that kind of gives a, a, a kind of broad outline um, and answer to your question. Yeah, it does. And it, and it, it largely also answers my next question was, you know, why do we need uh, a digital disruption in healthcare. And, and as you mentioned, first of all, it's opportunity. It's a massive business opportunity. So we have the likes of, of Google and Apple coming into healthcare, whereas before they you know, weren't really that interested. Uh, but I think on a, on a more practical note and a more social justice note, you know, we recognize that digital health has the opportunity to deliver healthcare and provide access to healthcare to those that need it. And the, your example of telemedicine is, is, is a prime example of that. You know, so people in rural areas that don't have access to um, specialists that are only found in the big metros, for example, that has, that has dramatically changed the, what healthcare looks like for them. They don't have to wait three weeks, three months for an appointment or take four buses and a taxi to get there. You know, they can have the, the consultation remotely. The next set of questions that I have then is also a, a, a prime focus of, of this podcast is how do we ensure then that we bring everybody along with us on this digital revolution? And a lot has been spoken about the last mile of health, the people that are notoriously left behind. 
So the elderly, the illiterate, the people that don't have access to smartphones, how do we ensure that we bring them along with us when we develop this new kind of technology, especially with the lens in South Africa and other low and middle income countries? I'll start off why, with why it's so important. Um, if, you, if you look at uh, you know, what would be required uh, for uh, people in uh, lower income communities and rural communities to gain access to, to good quality healthcare, um, I'll give you two comparisons. Um, and in fact, it's, the, it's a startup and a company we work with that are doing AI and radiology, right? You know, to get a radiologist, a specialist radiologist um, in all these areas, if you track back from an infrastructure perspective, what would be required, it would be, you know, it, it, it would almost be impossible. And case in point, we don't have a special specialist radiologist in, in all parts of the country. But if you take technology, um, the thing with technology is that it's scalable. You're able to implement it, um, on, you know, uh, on mass um, rather than human resource. And so, you know, why it's so important that, that we, we provide uh, technology solutions within healthcare to the lower uh, income populations is because, you know, as we stand today, that is the only tool we have available to provide uh, good quality healthcare. Now, you know, if we want to paint a picture of digital healthcare, we need a canvas to paint on. And, and what that looks like is we need electricity, we need internet access. And so there's fundamental infrastructure that has to come before the technology, right? And I think, you know, we're on the way to doing that. And I think technology in and of itself can solve for some of those problems. But if we want to provide really good quality healthcare through technology to those lower income communities, we have to engage government. We have to engage larger institutions, and we have to form public-private partnerships. Um, you know, and the reason why it's so important to engage government is because um, you know, these, these people are, are, are largely under the public health care system. And what it is, is it's a system. Um, and, and in order to implement a solution and in, in order to really make an impact, you have to engage government at an institutional level. And so, you know, it's fun, it's exciting, it's new when I'm speaking about, you know, digital healthcare. But if we're looking to provide that same care um, to, to lower LSMs, there's really a lot of hard work and grudge work that needs to be done beforehand. And, you know, that's part of what WHI is currently doing. We're trying to figure that landscape out so that we, we can, we can um, provide a canvas for others to start painting on. Let's then look at what you actually do at the WHI. Uh, could you give an overview of some of your projects, some of your engagements? Uh, I'm particularly interested in those three pillars. I mean, one of the pillars that you mentioned was a culture shift, if I, if I understood correctly. Um, it's fascinating for me that there's such a strong component in your, in your makeup to look at culture and health system access, how that fits all together. Could you talk, talk through some of those things? I'll start with our innovation drives. So what we do with innovation drives, and we've done one successfully where out of that came a, a clinic booking system, which is about to pilot. 
So the, the main kind of framework of an innovation drive is we um, create a collaboration between healthcare professionals, ourselves, and industry. And by industry, I mean technology industry. So for example, we're just about to embark on an innovation drive with an organization called Endeavor, where we'll be sending out calls for proposals uh, to all the academic departments uh, at WITS. And um, there'll be a winning problem chosen. So, you know, we've, we've got a, a questionnaire um, that will investigate um, key challenges that, that healthcare uh, workers are facing. That problem will then be put out to Endeavor's global network of entrepreneurs and uh, technology companies. We will then work together in collaboration with all parties uh, to build a solution from the ground up. Now that speaks to the implementation of, of technology-driven solutions within healthcare, but that also speaks to a, a change in culture, right? Uh, it's taking healthcare practitioners which have got no prior experience in business or in innovation and walking them through that process. The reason why we feel culture is so important to change is because firstly, you need uh, doctors to adopt your solution and healthcare workers to adopt your solution. And if they don't have a culture of innovation or see innovation as something that can really assist them, uh, you're going to fall short. But we hope in the future, that doctors are in fact, and healthcare workers are in fact the best people to innovate. They're the ones dealing with these problems on a daily basis. So that's the, the innovation drive side of things. We also then uh, run events. We partnered with Investec um, at the end of last year, and we ran a four-part webinar series specifically for uh, their medical clients and the WITS uh, circuit um, of doctors, um, focusing on uh, technology, focusing on um, uh, mental health, which was really, really important, and then focusing on innovation. Um, we also, like I mentioned before, uh, conduct research in collaboration with, um, with technology companies. We currently um, just got ethics approval for a pilot with uh, Envisionit, who do AI and radiology, specifically for uh, mammograms and uh, ultrasounds, breast cancer screening, um, which we hope... Uh, Will, will be deployed um, in rural areas. And um, we also ran a station for, so in the UK, South Africa Tech Hub and Endeavor, uh, ran an entrepreneurship accelerator for um, South Africa's top health tech startups. Um, and we engaged with all of them um, and, and ran a, a session with them. We're effectively looking at varying components. So we had a health informatics station, a technology station, a business station and a medical station. Um, we're a team of eight people, uh, all doing it voluntarily. So, um, you know, we vary at capacity and it's, it's so unfortunate because there's so much opportunity, but, but we like to see projects through properly. Um, and, you know, the environment we work in is very challenging and there's a lot of obstacles. And so, you know, um, we've got to remain very focused on, on the projects that we're dealing with. I just want to touch on the culture because I, I, that fascinates me. Um, and, yeah. and what you mentioned about doctors perhaps being resistant to change. I mean, it's, it's an old adage, but doctors like to do the things that they've been taught. Uh, what has your, be, your experience been like in trying to stem the tide? Uh, before you answer, I just want to say that I, I hope that there has been somewhat of, of, a, of a change in the last decade or so. Because there has been a boom of health tech prior to COVID already. You go to your GP today, you know, they use apps like EM Guidance and Fuller and up-to-date 
it's not uncommon for the doctor to quickly check something on the laptop or the cell phone. People have become accustomed to it, especially if you go to the slightly younger GPs. But what has your experience been like in trying to create this culture shift? There definitely has been some, right? And the example I always give is, uh, and, and here I suppose COVID, COVID has played a big part, um, you know, an m and or a morbidity and mortality meeting that a lot of academic departments will have once a month or, or whatever. The traditional ways everyone gathers into uh, an office or a, a room in the hospital and you present. Now that's happening on Zoom. You've got 70, 80-year-old professors uh, sitting there running, <laughs> running Zoom m and 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 things like that, you know. Um, so it definitely has, has begun. Uh, the rate at which it's happening, though, is, is much slower than it should be. And um, in my experience, there's definitely interest, but you know, I, I can't be um, blissfully ignorant. I can be optimistic, but not blissfully ignorant. And the reality is that in my experience, we're, we're still a long way away. We're still coming up against a culture that's very set in its ways and not just with regards to technology, you know, um, with regards to everything. Um, you know, we're working now also with the doctor, Yakira, who's starting, in fact, maybe, maybe you should have a chat with her. She's starting a mental health podcast for, for doctors. And, and, you know, to touch on culture a bit more, we ran a, a mental health with Investec, part of that four-part webinar series on, on um, mental health. And, you know, we were looking at the questions that were coming in. We had a, a, a section or a, or a time in this webinar where we said, which, you know, you can now put questions on Zoom. And I won't lie, 99% of the questions had the phrase toxic culture in it. Mm. And, mm. you know, this has got nothing to do with technology, but something that's very close to my heart. And I think it all stems from, a, from the same problem of a culture resistant to change, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's something that everybody knows. It's something that everybody experiences. Um, but it's something that everyone has accepted as being part of the job when it really doesn't have to be. And so I think in solving or, or working to solve a, a culture problem, you know, at its very core will then manifest into a, a change in culture with regards to technology, but also just in general. And I think, you know, it's so important to start that conversation and bring this to light as much as possible. So that was kind of my uh, little, <laughs> I had to slide that in there, but I think it's so important. Yeah, and, and, and that's why the WHI can be commended because I think a lot of healthcare workers that are listening to this see the, the benefit of this. I mean, I think of myself as a junior doctor working in a system where I see clear frustrations, you know, clear systemic issues that can be addressed with just doing things slightly differently. And you don't have a platform. You don't have a mechanism to voice your opinion. And even if you do, you're not really taken seriously. So what it sounds like, it, it's, it's empowering to the people on the ground at the co-face that are actually experiencing the problems. And for me, that is incredible. And it must be seriously commended. Um, and I hope that your organization really goes from strength to strength. Thank you so much. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think it's, it's also important for patients, you know, in, yeah. in all of this. And, yeah. and, and, you know, again, everybody always, always forgets. And, you know, to, to someone who's never 
been a junior doctor, it will sound crazy to understand, but we often forget about the patients, you know, we're there to do a job. There's all these dynamics. Um, but the truth is that a good culture means good health outcomes. Um, healthy and happy healthcare workers mean much better patient outcomes. And so that is why that culture change is one of the three pillars of, of WHR. You know, we view ourselves as a buzzword disruptive organization. And, uh, you know, we, we focus largely on, on technology and innovation, but, but the change of culture is very close to all of our hearts. Yeah, absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. I, I do want to shift gears a little bit. I want to, for you to put your thinking cap on and look ahead. You mentioned earlier that COVID is, is a great disruptor in itself, but was an opportunity for a health tech boom in South Africa and beyond really. How, what, what are some of the lessons that we can learn from it for, you know, heaven forbid, future pandemics or future major global health crises? What, can we, what lessons can we apply that we've learned from a digital health perspective to better prepare us to address these global health issues in the future? Yeah, and that's a really, really tough question, you know, um, but thinking about it, I think we first have to ask ourselves, you know, technology is amazing and it can solve a lot of problems, but it's also not something, um, you know, let's throw technology at this and we can solve the problem. And I think we almost need to take a step back um, and, you know, looking at healthcare, um, we, you know, looking at, looking at COVID, I mean, the, the statistics are, are, are pretty clear. The unhealthier you are, the, the bigger chance you have, um, you know, of, of falling ill or having complications. Um, and, I mean, I think we have to ask ourselves, not in terms of technology, but in terms of healthcare in general, what, what can we be doing better? I don't believe for a very long time we can structure a healthcare system sustainably um, waiting for the next pandemic to happen, you know? And that's why every healthcare system was completely overloaded and in shock by it. You just can't structure a, um, a reactive healthcare system, you know, for the next pandemic that might occur. I think we can mitigate it in various ways. And I think the ways we can do that in future, you know, maybe not speaking to policy or how people thought the pandemic um, uh, began. Uh, I don't want to speak to that. I'm currently using 5G now, so it would be very hypocritical for me to do that. Um, <laughs> I joke. Um, but I think it's, it's really in, in looking at uh, um, how can we better or how can we improve the health of populations uh, and our people, you know, uh, and really focusing on primary health care and preventative health care. Um, and that will give us the best possible chance, you know, out of this may stem uh, technology that, that, and I'm sure it will, that will better prepare us for the next pandemic. But when it comes to healthcare, I think the bread and butter is so important, you know, and there's no, there's no magic pill or magic smartwatch or magic software that can replace eating healthy, uh, exercising and health education, which is so important. And that's something we need to empower our uneducated uh, fellow human beings about. Um, th that is huge. Those bread and butter steps uh, that, that are often taken for granted because everybody wants a quick fix, um, you know, will better prepare us for the next pandemic because uh, our population will be healthier. 
what does the ideal healthcare system in the future look like with a digital health lens? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to frame this not in a prediction uh, sure. because uh, if COVID taught me one thing, it was that you can't predict the future. And then as soon as I start, started to think that uh, I could predict the future again, uh, there was a huge fire in the hospital I work at and now nobody's there. So I've learned my lesson. <laughs> I, will, I won't make predictions, at least in public. Um, but my I, I, ideal healthcare system in the future, obviously, is one, firstly, that everybody has access to. Um, uh, that's good. That's of good quality. But, you know, if we want to be a little bit futuristic, I think uh, for me, the, the area in which healthcare is really going to improve is in the qualitative and quantitative data that we're able to get and look at and analyze and act upon. And by quality of data, I mean, you know, if you look 50, 60, 70 years back to sequence a genome, basically to look at an, a, 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 the entire genetic code and DNA of a human being was ridiculously expensive. It took a crazy amount of time. Now, what do you do? You go online, you get 23andMe, and in a couple of weeks' time, at an affordable price, you know, you've got a lot of important uh, genes identified and the implications of those genes. And so by quality of data, I mean, we're going to be able to access health, the healthcare data of both people and populations um, uh, with, the, with, yeah, the, the quality is, is gonna improve. So we'll be able to get a lot more, more data, um, you know, genetics, healthcare habits, and then quantity of data. What I mean by that is effectively more constant data. So in about three years time, I would say, we, we can look back in three years and see if this came true. Uh, I believe that you'll be able to wear a non-invasive wearable device and have 24-7 glucose monitoring, right? You, you can now do that with uh, oxygen sats. So uh, the latest Apple Watch can do that. Um, you know, the previous guest you had on with uh, Curo Medical, uh, remote monitoring, having that kind of uh, constant data being monitored. So I think with qualitative and quantitative data is going to bring about an improvement in patient care, firstly, but also provide uh, actionable insights um, for both patients and doctors uh, to, uh, to act on in a preventative manner. And I think that's really where healthcare is going, to be able to prevent illness and to predict illness long before it actually happens. That's incredible. And the last thing for me to say is I want to, to thank you for your time. I think the work that you are doing with the WHI is inspiring, uh, not only to in, empower the clinicians on the ground, but also ultimately, as you say, the patients, the users of, of the public health system. So uh, thanks for responding to my my DM on LinkedIn after I slid in, as you as you so said. <laughs> I, it's all I good. Think, I, I think it's an inspiring story. I I will keep a close eye on the WHI in the years to come, and I I predict, as you said, you don't like to predict, but I predict great things from you and from the company in the years to come. Well, thank thank you very much. It's been a, an honor to be on this podcast. Um, and thank you for sliding into my LinkedIn DMs. I can't believe you haven't yet sold, try to sell me either life insurance uh, or a telehealth solution. So I appreciate that. But thank you for having me on.